You obviously know Kung Fu. Hi, my name is Katrina Durden. I'm the blonde zealot in Doctor Strange and the Capran Street Fighter Resurrection. You're listening to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. <laughs> student in search of the glow goes on a quest through 1980s New York City to find a master to take him to his final level of training. Standing in his way are a gangster and a vindictive rival who both want him out of the picture for good. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and in this episode, we find out how music videos and Kung Fu come together to birth a cult classic as we revisit The Last Dragon. The full title for this film is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon and holds a special place in Kung Fu fans' hearts, particularly for those of us who grew up in the 80s, because this movie is an ode to the classic Kung Fu movies of our youths as seen through the lens of an MTV music video. Now, for those of you who are too young to remember what MTV was in the 80s, let me try to explain. Way back when, MTV actually stood for and meant music television, and they used to show music videos 24-7. And if you were a recording artist, you could be made or broken on the strength of your music videos. In the 80s, these videos were bright, flashy productions that often became synonymous with the artists who produced them. But for every AHA whose groundbreaking animated video defined them for a generation, there's a Billy Squire whose video radically decimated his fan base. Barry Gordy was one of Motown's mogul producers of the era, and he brought all of that flash and pizzazz to this, The Last Dragon. And while it is slathered in 80s cheese, huge shoulder pads, and neon fringe, if you ask any child of the 80s who's the master, you will get one, and only one, correct answer. The Last Dragon is a 1985 martial arts fantasy film that did not thrill all of the critics when it was released, but struck a chord with its audience to the point that it's now considered a cult classic. It starred fresh-faced first-time actor Timok, Prince Protégé Vanity, the animatedly menacing Julius J. Carey III, and the 12-year-old Ernie Reyes Jr., among others. While Timok was new to acting, he was already an accomplished martial artist at the time, having studied Chinese goju under Ron Van Cleef, known to many martial arts fans as the Black Dragon from the 1974 film he starred in. Timok went on to earn black belts in Jeet Kune Do, Wing Chun, Hapkido, Taekwondo, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The film opens up with a familiar kung fu film trope of the star Timok practicing his kung fu in silhouette. He demonstrates different moves, shadow boxes, flips and flexes his way through different katas so that we get a good sense of just how skilled our hero Leroy Green is. As we move to a gym, we meet Leroy's master, who's loading an arrow into a bow and drawing the string back. He happens to be aiming it at Leroy, who's busy working on a punching bag. As the master lets the arrow fly, Leroy pivots and chops the arrow out of the air and sends it clattering to the floor. He does this several times, with Leroy successfully stopping the arrow each time and on the third try, he actually plucks the arrow out of the air cleanly. By the way, that scene used a real bow and arrow and took two hours to shoot before Timok could successfully catch the arrow out of the air. I guess there weren't too many outtakes of that, because when you're dealing with an arrow flying at you, either you get it right, or you get it right between the eyes. As the master admires his student's skill at correctly catching the blue arrow, he removes a patch from his student's shirt, which immediately makes the student think he's done something wrong, and drops to his knees in penance. But the teacher giggles at the gesture and instead tells Leroy that he's actually completed his training and is ready to move on from under his tutelage. Leroy is confused because to this point, he understood that when he reached the final level of his training, he would achieve something known as the glow. The glow! You always said that... That when you reached the final level, you would know it by the appearance of a sublime glow all over your body. The master explains that this last part of the journey to the glow has to be made alone. 
Leroy initially refuses to accept this new edict and tries to stall for more time to train, but his master shuts him down. I am no longer your master. Seeing the trepidation in Leroy's face, the master sends him on a quest to find an old sage known as Sumdum Goy, who's supposed to be the wisest master anywhere, and who happens to be right there in New York City. He gives Leroy a medallion which supposedly belonged to Bruce Lee himself, and instructs him to find his new master, to give the medallion to him so that he can begin the next phase of his journey. Unsure but determined, Leroy leaves the gym and walks out into 1980s New York City dressed in Chinese silks and a wide straw hat. Which might be okay if Taimok was a Chinese man, but if you're not aware, Taimok is a six-foot African-American dude, which should give you an idea of the campy nuttiness we're going to experience with this film. We follow Leroy as he walks through New York's Chinatown, interacting with normal everyday New Yorkers as he seeks his new master. He sticks out like a sore thumb dressed as he is, but when I was a young kung fu wannabe, Leroy was every one of us who at the time wanted to be a kung fu guy enough to be able to rock those silks without giving a damn because we would have had the kung fu locked and loaded in case anyone wanted to step to us. I'm Asian and know zero kung fu, so me wearing that getup in Chinatown might not get me beat up, but it would certainly have gotten me some very strange looks at the very least. We then cut to a movie screen showing the famous scene from Enter the Dragon where Bruce Lee squares off against Bob Wall. As the scene unfolds, we see that we're in a movie theater as the kung fu crowd hoots and hollers as Bruce methodically cuts his opponent down. The film is abruptly stopped when the cinema doors are thrown open and an entourage of ridiculously 80s garbed thugs line up and clap in their leader, the even more ridiculously dressed Shogun of Harlem. Am I the prettiest? Shogun! Am I the baddest mofo low down around this town? Shogun! Well, who am I? Shogun! Who am I? Shogun! So the premise here is that in this corner of New York City, Shonuff is the baddest martial artist around, and he constantly struts his stuff to try and prove it. Julius J. Carey is an absolute gem in this role, and he plays it for all its cheesy worth, screaming all his lines to hilariously menacing effect. As the kung fu bullies take their seats, a voice from the crowd shouts out that he knows who can beat him. Shonuff, incensed by the mere suggestion, finds the voice and asks him for the name of this so-called Shogun killer. Bruce Leroy, that who? Bruce Leroy. Bruce Leroy. Sitting in the front of the theater is our hero dutifully eating his popcorn with chopsticks. One of Shogun's goons spells out the major plotline for us. That's the only guy that stands between show and total supremacy. Supremacy of what? I don't know. And it's not going to be explained either. But Shonuff steps right in front of Leroy and tries to bait him while talking smack about all the legendary abilities that people have claimed that Leroy possesses, like being able to catch bullets with his teeth. Leroy is unfazed by the Shogun and continues eating his popcorn. Shogun challenges Leroy to a fight to determine once and for all who runs the martial arts scene when some angry moviegoers brazenly yell for Shogun to sit down and shut up. Shogun, who doesn't take too kindly to back talk, challenges anyone and everyone to come down to fight him and tell him to shut up to his face. Fight scene. One burly guy heads right up to Shogun and throws a punch only to get sidestepped and grabbed by the back of the collar. Shogun proceeds to slam his face into the stage time and again until the guy slumps to the floor. Several other challengers leap down from all parts of the theater to take their chances, but Shogun kicks and punches his way through them without batting an eye. Leroy, who has no interest in this, makes his way out of the theater, drawing Shogun's ire and focus. One challenger uses this break in concentration to land a solid kick right to Shogun's chest, sending him sprawling backwards. An angry Shogun pops up, blocks another kick, then executes a clean takedown and leg bar where he then goes on to break the guy's ankles and bites him. Who does that? Especially if you want to be considered a good fighter. Anyway, Shogun will not rest until everyone knows that Shogun is the master. That means taking down Bruce Leroy. Meanwhile, in another part of the city, Eddie Arcadian is prepping for a night out while his girlfriend Angie, modeled after 80s icon Cindy Lauper, lounges in the background. Eddie Arcadian is a video arcade mogul. Get it? Eddie Arcadian? Apparently, video arcade moguls were a thing? Anyway, while they're getting ready, one of Arcadian's henchmen, Rock, is feeding an entire leg of meat to a tank of piranha. And on the television is an MTV-style show hosted by Vanity. 
Arcadian excitedly proclaims that Angie will soon be hosting the show if he has anything to say about it. On the set of the show, a club called 7th Heaven Vanity, playing Laura Charles, is introducing a video from DeBarge for the 80s pop hit Rhythm of the Night. Don't worry if you don't know the song now, because when you watch the film, they play the whole video, so you'll know it, dammit. A young William H. Macy playing Laura's manager JJ is frantically trying to convince Laura to take a meeting with Arcadian, lest the video game king send his video game-funded thugs after him. Laura has zero interest in entertaining Arcadian, and instead heads out on stage to perform her own musical number. I don't know if you can tell, but there's some thinly veiled sexual references there. And let me tell you, 13-year-old me had a huge crush on Vanity, so I picked up on those references right quick. As if I'd ever say never to entering her elevator door and pushing every button until she lit up like a Christmas tree. In the crowd, several other 13-year-olds are thinking the exact same thing, including Leroy's little brother Richie, who has his prepubescent eyes set on Laura too. Meanwhile, back at Arcadians, he gets word from JJ that Laura will not be taking his meeting. Nobody tears down any Arcadian invitation. Outside the club, Leroy happens by just as Laura's on her way out. He's clearly smitten with her, and she throws him a glance as she gets into her limo and rides by. Inside the car, Laura's regular driver has been replaced by a tough-talking Chaz Palmentieri, who drives her down the block where some other toughs join him. Laura tries to get away, but is stopped by one of the goons. After enduring a bite from Laura, the goon cocks his hand back to Slugger when it's stopped by Bruce Leroy himself. Fight scene. The thug takes a few swings at Leroy, but he's too evasive and returns fire quickly with a few elbow strikes that drops the guy cold. As another thug tries to exit the car, Leroy catches him with a driving kick to the chest. Number three comes at Leroy with a switchblade and a bad attitude, but Leroy is able to use his kicks to keep safe distance and disarm him. Screaming like Bruce Lee, Leroy moves on to take out the driver and head after the guy who's got Laura. Straight kick to the face and a roundhouse kick to the head is all it takes to take this guy out and force the goons to hop into the car and clear out. What is the Potter family? Hey, y'all. It's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant Podcast. This is Michael Vasquez of the No Soundbites Allowed Podcast. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob from the Something Something Cast. This is Knock from the Geek Over Podcast. This is Jeff with the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. This is Daniel from the Toe on the Trigger Podcast. This is Dave from the Parlapod Podcast. Hey, guys. This is Mike from the Mike Jolet Show. Woo! We're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks Podcast. We are you podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow so follow us on twitter at potter family and use the hashtag potter family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same potter family where great podcasts come home laura is shaken up but unharmed and very appreciative for leroy's intervention the two exchange a look, and an uncomfortable Leroy does his best to help Laura gather her things and make sure she can get safely home. As Laura puts her things away, she gets up only to find that Leroy's pulled a Batman and disappeared. As she steps into the waiting cab, on the ground at her feet is the medallion that Leroy's supposed to be taking to some dumb goy. Back at Arcadians, the busted-up goon squad rushes in to try and explain how their kidnapping went so wrong. They blame their beatdown on a gang of bodyguards armed with all kinds of weaponry. Meanwhile, the lone guy responsible has raced back to the scene, frantic to find his lost medallion. Arcadian is incensed that he has been challenged and commissions his muscle to go after Laura himself. The next morning, Leroy is at his martial arts school teaching a class while dressed in the classic yellow jumpsuit worn by Bruce Lee in Game of Death. One of his students, Johnny, is sparring with a classmate while imitating Bruce Lee's trademark kiosk. Johnny, played by Glenn Eaton, tries to sell Leroy on the concept of fighting without knowing how to fight. You see, people, people are afraid of oriental dudes. Give them a little move, a little stream, and lots of attitude. 
Johnny demonstrates a theory of howling and screaming and blindly kicking into the air when his classmate throws a straight kick that connects with Johnny's face and sends him crashing to the floor. As Leroy checks in on Johnny, the gym doors slam open and in walks Shonoff and his crew. He gets right in Leroy's grill and tries to goad him into another fight, but Leroy simply will not take the bait. So Shonoff tries another tactic and sends his female goons after him. A trio of female gang members surrounds him and do what they can to get his blood boiling. One of the ladies actually punches Leroy in the face and he instinctively gets into a defensive stance. Shonoff snaps into position eager to start the battle, but Leroy looks back at his students and gathers his senses. He straightens up, then bows to Shonoff, who jumps on the opportunity. The other goons try to force Leroy to bow as his students look on in the background. Johnny decides to take things into his own hands and steps up, demonstrating his fighting without knowing how to fight style one more time. Shonoff, recognizing a rank amateur, sends his goon Beast after him. Johnny tries to run, but he gets caught by two other thugs who get him in a headlock. They demand that Leroy bow and kiss Shonoff's sneakers, or they snap Johnny's neck. Given no other option, Leroy bends down and gets a swift kick to the mouth. You may not wish to fight me now, sucker, but you will. I'm gonna see to that. At Leroy's apartment the next morning, Leroy's very normal-looking family is sitting to breakfast where Richie is explaining how he's gonna win a contest held by 7th Heaven's Laura, the prize of which is a date with Laura herself. Here we learn that the Green family is an eclectic bunch with their father running a pizza shop. Just direct your pizza to Daddy Green's Pizza. When a commercial for 7th Heaven comes on the TV, Leroy gets up and with a hopeful look in his eye, states that he needs to see her. Richie happens to be attending a rehearsal for the show's taping that day, but when Leroy asks to tag along, Richie declines, stating once again that Leroy, a black man who's an Asian wannabe, is just too weird. After lots of begging and some negotiating, Richie agrees to take Leroy to the rehearsals. Once there, Richie moves to bypass the line and we catch Arcadian's lieutenant dressed as a camera operator, sneaking his crew into the venue. While Richie heads inside to try to get Leroy in, Laura is escorted out and into a waiting camera truck for a purported sound check. Once inside, Arcadian's goon shuts the door and Laura screams as she's kidnapped again. Leroy, who is waiting outside, witnesses this and gives chase. As the truck speeds away, Leroy notices a folder that was left behind. The front of the folder reads Arcadian Productions. Back at Arcadian's lair, Laura is being forced to watch Angie's music video. When the nightmare fuel is over, Laura still refuses to play the video on her show. Arcadian is not pleased, especially when a defiant Laura holds her ground. So he takes it to the next level. But just as he's about to take her out back, the door gets kicked in by a figure in a ninja outfit. Fight scene. The ninja tosses a few shurikens that find their marks in some goons' hands. One by one, he takes down Arcadian's men, at one point using a short staff to pummel a guy. When the ninja gets to Arcadian, he tells him to back off, but Arcadian doesn't scare so easily. He threatens the ninja, then rips his mask off to reveal Leroy. Leroy, spotting the tank, drags Arcadian over there, and above Arcadian's pleas for mercy, quickly dips his head into the roiling water, but extracts it before the piranha can get to him. Leroy grabs Laura and leaves a wet, shaken, but pissed Arcadian behind them. That son of a bitch is history. <laughs> Meanwhile, Laura's taking Leroy back to her place to catch her breath. Mind you, nowhere is there a thought to report this to the police or anything. Anyway, once there, Leroy's only concerned with getting his medallion back. When Laura admits that she has it, Leroy's thrilled. But when the two share a fleeting moment on the couch, a different thrill seems to take over Leroy. But before either of them can act on it, Leroy clumsily excuses himself and leaves. In the morning, Leroy continues to search for some dumb goy through a vibrant and colorful New York City. He finally arrives at a rundown fortune cookie company which bears the name Some Dumb Goy. When Leroy asks to see the master, he's rebuffed by three Asian workers who are trying way too hard to be 80s cool. They shoo Leroy away and shut the door on him. Meanwhile, at Daddy Green's Pizza, Shonuff, dressed in nothing but bedazzled football shoulder pads and track pants, struts in looking for Leroy. When Leroy Sr. answers the call, he asks who wants to know, and there's a funny bit here that's all due to Julius J. Carey's expression. Shonuff rhetorically asks, who am I? And his goons, all indoctrinated in Pavlovian, answer Shonuff. 
But Shonoff didn't mean for them to answer in this particular instance, so he jumps a little at the response and brings his hands down in a hush gesture. I am the Shogun of Harlem, and the Leroy Green I'm looking for is a little punk that thinks he's a kung fu master. Leroy Sr. isn't about to give up his son, so Shogun threatens him and begins to bust up the shop. They destroy everything, including an Arcadian jukebox that's playing Angie's terrible video. Richie tries to step in and winds up face first in a garbage can for his efforts. When he's done, Shonuff knows the message will get to Leroy. Tell that chicken-hearted son of yours to name the place. Now he's got to fight me. Leroy arrives on the scene just as the goons are leaving. He surveys the damage and is heartbroken when Richie says what everyone's been thinking. Showing up happened, that's what. And it's all because of you. Everyone knows you're scared of him. Kissed his shoes and everything. What good is that kung fu job if you can't even use it? Coward. Later that evening, as Leroy is working out all his guilt at the gym, Laura drops by for a visit and offers Leroy a job as her bodyguard. Given what just happened, you can excuse Leroy for not being entirely enthusiastic about taking the job, but Laura lays on the flirt pretty thick and that there can be no forgiveness for passing up. Meanwhile, at Arcadian's, Angie's working on her next nightmare when Arcadian lets slip that he intends on getting Leroy out of the way so that Laura will have no choice but to play her video. He's been on a hiring spree for mercs and assassins, and here's where Angie starts to really understand the gravity of the situation. Oh, I don't want you to kill anybody. Are you out of your mind? Nobody does what he did to me and lives. Nobody! And in a big change of heart, Angie wises up to all the abuse that she's endured at Eddie's hands and walks away from it all. Later, Arcadian and Rock pay a visit to Shonuff's gym where he's holding his own version of Fight Club. They've got a briefcase full of money, but Shonuff has zero interest in it. All he wants is for Arcadian to deliver Leroy to his designated place and time. Elsewhere, Leroy is trying to make amends with Laura. As she drives into her studio, the two begin to connect and Leroy pulls the advice from my friend shtick. Laura, of course, sees right through it, but plays along because she's crushing on Leroy quite a bit. At the studio, Laura loads up a video that plays all over the walls of the club. It's loaded with Bruce Lee clips from all of his films, which Leroy revels in as they both watch. Outside the club, Richie's waiting with some friends to woo Laura with some of his moves, unaware that his big brother's inside getting some moves put on him. When one of them hears music coming from within, they all go inside to investigate, only to find Leroy and Laura in a lusty lip lock, which leaves Leroy's little brother livid. Drobo! Sushi Jackknife is a weekly show about depressed children's characters, dead soul of my mother that lives in the moon, and uh, <laughs> an apathetic Jorge shook his head no and walked off. Christmas Tuba Man. You've been brought here on a mission of the most high import Tuba Man. Planets of Miserable Slugs. So on this giant slug planet, I can't get over this idea. Giant slug planet. I, I, I really, there's one musical slug, just one? Just one. Just one? Yeah. And do his song for me And he day? And he just... He only plays it to torment the other slug. Super bananas from the past. He's a super banana from the past. He's from the past. He went to the future, but he's from the past. Walmart haiku. At last, dreams come true. Bullets, hot pockets, nose spray. All in the same place. (laughs) Original games. Number two. Yes. Who said it? Garrison Keillor or Lil Wayne? Uh Uh-huh. A girl in a bikini is like having a loaded pistol on your coffee table. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's hard to stop thinking about it. But that's a little No, dude. It's Garrison Keillor! Sushi Jackknife is over 50 episodes strong and as binge-worthy as The Vicar of Dibley. No one knows what that is. You're, you're right. I mean... No one knows. I mean, I know what it is. Is it, it necessary that people know what it is? Well, I mean, you just referenced an obscure British sitcom that no one watched. I mean, I watched it. You are literally... The, <laughs> the people on the show didn't watch it. Yeah. Anyway. 
the opening was a hymn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot of people know about hymns. No, but... I, I, no one cares. Okay. <laughs> well, if you want, if it like comes around, like listen to Sushi Jackknife. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever like off of it. Yeah. Yeah. During a break in the kissing, a scene from Chinese Connection plays on screen where Bruce Lee disguises himself as a telephone repairman to infiltrate the Japanese dojo of his enemies. That flicks a switch in Leroy's brain, and he abruptly leaves Laura to go stir up some more trouble. As the signature scene from Fist of Fury plays above her, with Bruce Lee's arms echoing as he waves them in front of him, a frustrated Laura Charles laments getting blocked by Bruce. Thanks a lot, Bruce. A still-peeved Richie heads back to the studio to air out his grievances with Laura at the same time that Eddie Arcadian drops by for a less-than-social call. Arcadian and his thug grab up Laura while Richie tries to be a hero. Arcadian just laughs him off as we cut back to some dumb goy where Leroy is dressed as a pizza delivery guy and is practicing speaking normally. Hey, my man. What it look like? Hey, my man. What it look like? Hey, my man. What it look like? He manages to worm his way in, but the three cool cats from earlier stop him from getting any further. Instead of allowing him to see the master, they entice him with herb and drink to hang out and teach them to shoot some craps. Angie, meanwhile, has made her way to Leroy's school to track him down. She meets Johnny instead, who, in keeping with the times, refers to himself as if he were a rug. How about something in a medium-sized oriental? After some fun banter, Angie drops some serious news, telling Johnny to warn Leroy off of 7th Heaven because Arcadian has gone crazy. Back at 7th Heaven, Laura and Richie are bound and gagged as Arcadian has indeed gone off the rails and is producing his own show to an empty studio. We get another music video interlude, which gets Arcadian's managerial juices flowing again in a bid to replace Angie. Meanwhile, Leroy is busy entertaining his hosts in a game of craps, which is actually just hopscotch, but his hosts don't know any better, and with the alcohol, they don't really care either. The later it gets, though, the more anxious Leroy becomes in trying to meet the master. He presses for an audience one more time and produces the medallion as proof of his quest. The guys admire the gold trinket and patronize Leroy a bit, leading him to a back alley where they tell him to wait for the master. They slam the door shut on him, thinking that they just earned themselves a nice piece of bling. But Leroy kicks in the door and demands that he be taken to see the master right away. The guys crumble and make a cold confession. Please, please, there is no master! You lie! No, 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 it's true! We made enough to sell more fortune cookies! Tell him! It's true, it's true! Please! Show him! I'll show you! They take Leroy to a back room where a computer set up and is dutifully punching out hackneyed fortunes and stale cookies. Moments later, we're back at Leroy's old school where he confronts his former master, confused and hurt that he's been sent on a wild goose chase. The teacher tries to explain that he never needed anything else to finish his journey and that the medallion was just a charm. He needed a charm. A true master would use this to hold up his pants. <laughs> later, still confused, Leroy is back at his gym where he's just learned from Johnny what Arcadian is up to. He starts arming himself with different weaponry to go and take on the thugs himself. Johnny tries to dissuade him, and when that doesn't work, he offers to help. Leroy accepts and asks Johnny to arm himself as well. When Johnny steps into the weapons closet to grab something, Leroy shuts and locks the door behind him and heads out. Sometime later, a 12-year-old Ernie Reyes Jr. as Ty rescues Johnny, and the two of them head out to help Leroy. Back at the club, Arcadian spots Leroy on a video monitor, and the game is on. As Leroy tries to sneak in, Arcadian surprises him by projecting his mug on the video wall, calling him out. When Leroy turns around, he finds he's surrounded by a number of mercs hired by Arcadian. And in true 80s fashion, the neon floor lights up, the music swells, and things get hot fast. Fight scene. Facing a number of different fighting styles, Leroy kicks his way out of the first wave of mercs. As the second wave advances, Leroy breaks out his nunchucks and does his best Bruce Lee imitation as he pops off on thug after thug. He comes to a big bruiser of a guy who's not only able to dodge the nunchuck, 
but he's also able to throw Leroy then proceed to eat the nunchucks as a stunned Leroy watches. Another thug comes in and starts beating Leroy with a chain and things don't look so good for a hero. But pouring in from the wings comes Johnny and all of Leroy's students. They bum rush the goons and overwhelm them. Even Johnny's able to hold off three thugs, surprising even himself with his high-flying kicks. When one thug manages to drop Johnny with a sucker punch to the back, Ty gets woken up like Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania and this pint-sized 12-year-old fearlessly steps to the goon, showing off his kicking skill. The goon looks around confusedly, then rushes Ty, only to get taken out low and popped with an impressive back kick. Ty and a recovered Johnny then take turns beating the guy down. We get to see more of Ernie Reyes Jr.'s skill as he takes on three thugs at once, using some impressive kicks to get him out of a bad situation. This was one of the first roles for Reyes, and he's an absolute dynamo as Ty. I just recently saw him again as the Monkey King in a recent episode of The Librarians. He takes on a few more goons and gets to show off some of his amazing hand speed, which still holds up today. He cleanly finishes off another thug, then humorously skips away, reminding us that he's only 12 years old after all. Meanwhile, Johnny gets to show off some of his nunchuck skills, looking like he could have been a very convincing Bruce Lee clone back in the Bruce Ploitation era. While the battle rages, Arcadian grabs Laura and starts moving out of there to try and draw Leroy away from the fight. Richie also gets himself loose by popping and locking his way out of the ropes, and if you know what popping and locking is, sorry my friend, but you are old. And he heads out after Laura as well. They head to an abandoned factory where Arcadian holds onto Laura while Rock has grabbed Richie. As they move through the factory, Richie gets a drop on Rock and gets away, only to run into one of Shonoff's thugs, who grabs him up as well. As Richie screams out for his brother, Leroy shows up to confront the thug, who throws Richie into a pile of garbage, knocking him unconscious. Okay, should I do my movie voice? Yeah, do it. Hi, this is a beardo and a weirdo talk film. A movie podcast. Actually, it's, isn't it a film podcast? Because it's called a beardo and a weirdo talk film. A beardo and a weirdo talk film. A film podcast about films. F I L F to the I to the L M S. Films, yeah, we talk about films, don't we? We talk about old films, mainly new what, films, though. About, Matt, enlighten me. What, what was the film we just reviewed? Um, I believe it was Fantastic Beasts Ooh. and Where to Not Find Them. Oh. And and what was your rating out of out of the Matt 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 out of ten? Uh, that was a. Reasonably warm, 7 out of 10. What was yours, Joe? I gave it an 8. An 8. An so 8. You, you think it's slightly better Some, than me, but... A dirty slut who just gives everything away. You just give it away, didn't you? Just take it. Take it. Take take the 8. Take the 8. Take it. Take it deep. You know you, know you want the 8. But yeah, uh, you can find a podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud. There's YouTube, but there's no video footage, so you just listen to it and look at a picture of us, so uh, that's good. Yep. And Eddie Redmayne has autism, and he guns a lot. I can do magic, me. It's all started to fall into place. <laughs> Fight scene. Leroy and the Thug Beast have a short but brutal exchange. Leroy gets knocked down first but bounces back up and uses his strength to back the guy up against the pillar and starts to unload on him. Several crosses to the face later, the Thug slumps down, only to get a thunderous boot to the face. Richie checks out fine and to keep him safe, Leroy locks him up in a storage space against his protestations. As he moves on through the factory, he's startled by another player in this game, the Shogun of Harlem himself. You Shonoff steps out of the shadows and the two stare each other down. Julius Carey puts on his best menacing scowl as he advances on Leroy while Arcadian shows up with a bound Laura to watch what could be Leroy's final moments. Final fight. Leroy and Shonoff circle each other and then unleash a flurry of kicks and punches. Shonoff draws first blood with a bunch of hard punches to Leroy's face. Leroy answers with some strong kicks, but Shonuff keeps coming. Shonuff manages to gather enough power to kick Leroy right through a thin wall. He then goes after him, only to find that Leroy is playing a game of cat and mouse. As he moves through the room, Leroy leaps out of the air and lands a flying kick into Shonuff's chest, laying him out. 
Leroy looks over the prone body of Shonoff and thinks the fight's over. But as he turns away, Shonoff calls out to him again, and the body's disappeared. Leroy cautiously steps into the room, only to come face to face with Shonoff, who is now exhibiting an otherworldly red glow from his hands. Using this new evil mystical glow, Shonoff blocks every attack from Leroy and returns fire with furious punches that shoot off sparks every time they connect with Leroy's face. Leroy gets thrown from several landings, and Shonoff jumps down to continue the beating, all while asking Leroy who's the master. Shonoff drags a weakened Leroy over to a barrel of water and begins to dunk his head in it. Leroy struggles for air, but something awakens in him as he begins to see some of the recent events flash before his eyes. In a stunning turn, as Shonoff pulls Leroy out of the water, he challenges him one last time to concede. But this time, a suddenly vibrant and renewed Leroy begins to glow with a golden light as he stops Shonoff's punch and begins to crush his hand. In an imitation of Bruce Lee's Fist of Fury, Leroy waves his glowing arms through the air, leaving echoes of their movements behind him. Shonoff tries to call on his glow, only to have it fizzle and short out on him. Leroy attacks with powerful kicks that land across Shonoff, sending multicolored sparks shooting from his chest and face. Leroy delivers a final kick that sends Shonoff into the barrel of water. What's up, everybody? This is your man, Adam, from the Mike Kings Podcast, telling you guys to give us a listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and follow us on Twitter, at the Mike Kings. We talk about pop culture, movies, games, TV shows, anything that's interesting to today's millennials. Give us a listen. I promise you'll enjoy it. We appreciate it. Thank you. But Arcadian isn't done yet. As Leroy pulls Shonoff's head out of the water, Arcadian draws a gun on Leroy and begins to monologue away. I applaud you, Leroy. That's a great finish. Not the ending I had in mind, but it's a great finish. See, a 45 will put an end to all this kung fu crap. All it takes is one little bullet. So take your final bow, scum sucker. As the shot rings out, Leroy drops, but as Arcadian goes over to the body to inspect it, Leroy's eyes pop open, and caught in between his teeth is the bullet. Leroy proceeds to slap Arcadian around and then leaves him hanging from some chains for the police to deal with later. As with any good 80s movie, the whole thing wraps up with a big dance party. Sadly, Julius Carey passed away in 2008 to pancreatic cancer. He was 56 years old, but hopefully he was thrilled with having left behind an iconic character that resonates even till today. Glenn Eaton continues to act and write, and Ernie Reyes Jr. went on to do several films and TV shows and was most recently seen in that episode of The Librarians that I talked about in the last mini-episode. And Ty Mock continues to act in film and music videos, and most recently published his book, Ty Mock, The Last Dragon, available everywhere books are sold. That's going to do it for this episode, guys. Big shout out to some of my Potter and Family buddies and a particular shout out to four guys in a comic who reached out to chat with me about my days in the comic book industry. Give them a listen for some great coverage of all that geeky comic goodness and catch up with me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or via email. Until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Some action, drink a little wine and get a drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! 
This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws I see the iron fisted monk before the daily prayers Shouting monks on the hands Running down the thousand stairs The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands With the fearless Aida roaming over the land Yeah, the little bitch soldier is older and wiser He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law Bruce Lee delivered kicks guaranteed to great jars Fight for the cars, then pause here the applause Not again, back kicks will defeat the outlaws Very good, but boards don't hit back Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back The Tai Chi master, Jet Li's even faster Bitch had a little drink because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see Maggie chunk his spine Golden Swallow has arrived Shang Chi movies, will the hero will survive? We've got the brave archer make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight, may as well pick the spot Yeah, the sky goes black, cut the vampire's back we got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all to stand back He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword And our sword will travel until his body's on floors Yeah, Wing Chun Shaol in the mountain style Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We walk into the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we get a drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claw See it's a game of death yo You're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun assassin slashing blood or just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got her just in yellow But she is in the dragon but in the tea rooms That's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor When the blood it'll splatter against the wall Don't fear at all, to kill them all There's always blood spilled when you head into a war Fearless Unleashed The fist of legend that the car gently I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these There's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war To smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine